0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Essential 11, as always brought to you by Acton Academy and Acton Academy Placer. Uh, today's guest is one of my brothers in Freedom Man, Mr. TK Coleman. I've been following this guy's work for a long time. Uh, he's the education director over at Praxis, and you've heard me talk about that quite a bit. Uh, he is also the director of entrepreneurial education for Fee. Uh, and we talk a little bit about that on this episode as well. And the guy's a speaker, and, and, uh, revolution of one podcaster and, and just all around brilliant human being, man, and a big uh, proponent for freedom and, and uh, just the human spirit. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode with Mr. TK Coleman. So super appreciative of you taking the time I have been. Um, obviously, we are we're kind of like roundabout connected through this world of of liberty and freedom and um, yep. whether that's in praxis And we've got, you know, obviously our praxis in here. And um, I've yep. just been following what you're doing for forever. And I love listening to you and listening to your perspective. So, um, it's exciting for me to get to just actually have our first chat,
1: man. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited too. I think conversations about the areas that we have in common, uh, freedom, entrepreneurship, creativity are more important now than ever before. I mean, and it's, it's stressful to find time in our calendars with everything that's going on around us to, to make the conversations work. But if there's ever a time where it's worth stressing out over collaborations like this, I would say the time is now. The time is now.
0: Yeah, I could not have said it any better, man. It really is. And it's, it's cool. It's, you know, it's always interesting. I don't think things are accidental. And, um, you know, the timing of all these things, just this last week, man, it's been conversations with, um, I think, do you know Chris Rufer? Uh, are you familiar with? with Chris Rufford all in the self-management Institute and Morningstar and all that. Oh, so, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, conversations Absolutely. with him and um, a couple things with Isaac, uh, you know, here and there had uh, Connor Boyack on the podcast a couple of days ago too, talking with him. And um, yeah. you know, so just a whole lot of like-minded people and you're right, taking the opportunity now to say, look, man, this is, this is important. And now people are realizing it's important, especially in the education world, man. This is kind of a emperor has no clothes. We've known it for a long time, but this is kind of a yeah. proof in the pudding moment.
1: Yeah. For sure, man. I, you know, it, it's interesting because um, sometimes people think that when we're in moments of crisis where we have to fight for our freedom, that that this is sort of like a unique moment. Yeah. You know, that, oh, shoot, everything was good. We were free. Right. Now freedom has all of a sudden become this thing that has to be fought for. And it's actually the other way around. Man. Yes, sir. Freedom, freedom by its very nature always has to be fought for in order to be sustained. There's no way you can set up a society so that freedom becomes the kind of thing that cannot be given away. Right. If we are free, we have the power to give away our freedom in exchange for convenience, in exchange for security, in exchange for easy answers. So whenever we find our to- ourselves in times where we don't feel like we're fighting for freedom, that just means we're really comfortable. Yeah. Because freedom is still the kind of thing that has to be fought for. So what we're experiencing right now is just a symptom of an underlying infirmity of authoritarianism that has been pervading this nation and pervading the world for a very long time. And the consequences of it have just escalated to the point where we can't ignore it. And sometimes that's good for us, even if, you know, there are a lot of other bad things that come along with it, you know? That's absolutely yeah, And the danger in that,
0: and you said that, man, we got lulled into this comfortability and then, you know, I mean, there's a number of different ways you can take that. We've gotten lulled into the comfortability, you know, in our businesses, in our health, in our relationships, in our education models. I mean, all of those things we've gotten, we've gotten lulled into and all of those things are now coming to the test and you're right. Going through these kind of trials can be can be a good thing. We can come out of it on the other side and, and you know, have, have some revelation, maybe relight that fire to, to get that freedom back. Um, but then it's also, you know, what did, over that period of time, what did we give away that will now be permanently taken away? You know, and you don't, it's just a... It's a
1: yeah, well, you know, there's a personal finance kind of analogy as well. So let's say times are going well, you've got a good job, you're, you're, you're making discretionary income, and because there's no pressure on you in the moment, mm-hmm. you don't really save. You just right. buy up a bunch of trinkets. You don't really think mindfully about how you're using your money. Right. And then something like this hits, right? And you're not very liquid, yeah. you're struggling. Well, did the crisis create the struggle? Or did the poor financial habits create the struggle and the crisis just made it the sort of thing that you can no longer be lazy with, right? Yeah, and I yeah. think that's a very important you know, distinction to make when we talk about things like this. So. Yeah um just because problems become amplified don't mean that the conditions which amplified the problem brought those problems into existence
0: you know what i mean that's exactly it and it highlights it really highlights where personal responsibility has been lacking you know and and so you know i mean obviously in in education we're seeing it here through through the acting academies and and how our students are continuing to really move forward in this because because, and it's not just because of the systems that we have in place. I mean, that definitely helps. We're used to utilizing technology, online collaboration. We're used to those things, but it's more their mindset of personal responsibility. It's their mindset of I'm self-directing. I am directing my own ship. Right. And that's why they are, that's why they're continuing to move forward. Right. And it's this time when it gets highlighted. Like, I mean, the financial analogy is a great one. and, And I think that same can be said for, you know, for health overall too. And and I definitely don't want to downplay what's happening with people. And I never want to do that. I never want, you know, bad things to come to people like that. Um, But it's definitely highlighting those that haven't taken care of themselves in this too, haven't taken care of their bodies, haven't taken care of the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the financial, all of that. I mean, giant flashlight right now.
1: Yeah, man. You know, uh, the word personal responsibility has kind of taken a bad rap. Um, I had on on Twitter, for instance, the Libertarian Party's uh, Twitter account, shared my, my talk at FECON like two years ago called country decisions do. And some guy replied to it. Now the talk, the talk is all about living freely at the individual level, right? It's all about permissionless creativity. I said nothing about any political candidates, anything like that. Anybody who Knows me knows that's not how I choose to use what God has given me. And there's a guy who replied in the comments, uh, something like, this sounds very Republican. Uh, and, and, and I laugh because my initial thought was, well, dude, who cares what it sounds like? Is the idea useful? Right? right? Like, like, is the idea useful? Right. Are, are you gonna stop eating breakfast because people of a political party you don't like eat breakfast too? The right. well, idea is a good idea. Um, but, but it's kind of funny. It, it, it shines a light on how we tend to politicize language or associate it with people of the opposing camp. You miss out on the opportunity to glean from great insights and personal responsibility is one of those terms. A lot of people hear that as meaning it's your fault that you have problems. Or they hear that as meaning if you think you need help, you're just making excuses and you have a victim mindset. And that's not what personal responsibility means at all. We all know what it's like to need help. None of us would ever have gotten where we are in life without someone creating something that we benefited from. Personal responsibility doesn't deny that. Personal responsibility is rooted in the idea of self-ownership. The idea that you own your mind, you own your body and that no one is going to care about your needs and desires as much as you are capable of caring about those things. And if you don't take the lead in your own life, the universe isn't this magical place that's yep. going to make that happen for you. I love the way Wayne, Desire, uh, Wayne Dyer Wayne, Dyer. Wayne, Desire, Wayne <laughs> Dyer puts it. He says, people think responsibility is blame, but it's not blame. It's, it's recognizing that you have the power to respond with ability. Zig Ziglar tells a story of a guy who was, uh, somebody gave him directions to a party and he's driving to the party and he gets lost. And this was pre-GPS and so he stops over at a gas station and he says, hey, can you direct me? And the person says, oh, I don't know who gave you these directions, but they're absolutely terrible. You actually need to do the opposite. You need to go left over here. You need to go straight down here. And the guy says, thank you so much. And he gets the right directions and then he gets to his destination. Zig Ziglar says this, Was it that guy's fault that someone gave him the wrong directions? Absolutely not. We've all been the victim of someone giving us bad information. However, now that someone gave him correct information, it is his responsibility to act on it to the best of his ability if he wants his life to change. So we've all been in situations where we've had bad things happen to us. We are all in situations right now where we are struggling with things that are unfair, that we can't control, that absolutely suck, that we do have a legitimate reason to complain about, but none of that changes the fact that at the end of, if I want my life to improve, I'm the biggest fool in the world if I expect you to be the one to lose sleep over that. That just ain't happening.
0: You know what I mean? I could not, I mean, could not have put in any better. Wayne Dyer's a brilliant mind. Zig Ziglar, I love that. I've never heard that story. I've never heard that analogy, but, um, you know, that's that's absolutely it. And I've always said, man, I am okay finding out that I am wrong. I never have to be right about everything. I want to be right about everything. I absolutely want to, but I'm okay finding out if I'm wrong because then at that point, as soon as I find out I'm wrong, then I have the choice if I want to try to be right at that point, right? And that's, I mean, that's what it's all about, man. That's exactly okay. what it's all about. I love that. So before we jump into so the premise of this whole, you know, the whole thing we got, we had, uh, about 1,500 youth from 13 to 22, which I know is a group that, that you have worked with quite a bit too, is, yeah. um, and we got 1,500 of them, and we said, look, we're gonna go to people who we believe are making changes in this world, people who are moving things forward, pushing the needle, and what are the questions you want us to ask them? What is the advice you are seeking from those people? So before we get to those, um, those 11 questions, uh, give people kind of the you've got so many things going on, man, between practice, between um, fee and, and all of your speaking and your podcasting and all that kind of stuff. So do people kind of the, you know, the 30,000 foot of what TK's got going down?
1: Yeah, man. So I, I pretty much boil it down to those things right there. So, yeah, from, from the Praxis side, I'm a co-founder of practice. Um, Isaac Morehouse and I started that up about six years ago. And, and And I've pretty much been the education director for the entirety of that time. And um, and that's been just an awesome part of my journey, helping young people figure out um, how to discover and do what makes them come alive. Mm-hmm. And not only am I blessed to have been a part of other people's um, career launch, but but I've grown tremendously from it by having to, to help people that are of a different generation right. than me, are right. of a very different mindset than me. Um, figure out how to navigate the complexities of work life and the relationship between work and fulfillment on their times. Um, and make no mistake about it, man, that's tremendously difficult. And so it's been really great for me in terms of my own personal growth. So sure. that, that that's one side of it. That's how you and I have have connected. Yep. On the fee side, about a year and a half ago, I joined Fee as a director. Um, I have been adjunct faculty member for fee for the past six years, almost the entire time that I've been in with practice. Yep. And, uh, now I'm the director of entrepreneurial education. Um, and that's a mouthful, but, but essentially my work there is to take my experiences as an entrepreneur, my, my belief in entrepreneurship as a theory of social change and to popularize that to as many people as I can, so that I can help others become the predominant creative force in their own lives. And while praxis has been like a really great part of my journey, I want to think about this in a way that goes beyond career Mm -hmm. because the philosophy of freedom isn't just about how to make more money, how to get a great job, how to become hireable and indispensable. It's also about how to solve problems in your relationships, how to achieve your artistic dreams, how to cope with your own stress and anxiety, how to make the world a freer place without having to rely on going to the voting booth. And I want to take that to as many people as possible. And so my programming that I'm doing with fee is called revolution of one and revolution of one is about the change that begins yes. with you it's about what you can do. And, um, and I have a podcast where I interview different entrepreneurs, yep. different artists, different change makers, and we talk about how they're creating freedom through their own lives and the wisdom they can share with other people. Um, and then I also you know, do a lot of uh, one day events, a lot of virtual workshops yep. with students, churches and so forth, where I share this, this very philosophy. And this, this is my number one agenda right now. This is the thing that's keep getting me out of bed. Uh, and then there's one other element. I'm not limited to this audience, but I have a special place in my heart for this audience. And that's young black men. Yeah. Um, I genuinely believe that that's the group that needs who I am the most. And that's the group that I need the most in order to find the fulfillment in the work that I do. Uh, I'm willing to help out anybody that God brings to me. uh, And I will never be selfish with anything that I have learned. Um, But man, um, whose dreams do I lose sleep over? It's the dreams of young black men. I lose sleep over those brothers. And I wanna do everything that I can to try to bring more teaching on economic literacy and entrepreneurial thinking um to young brothers across the country and so i love that i'm doing a lot of programming focus on that i love
0: that man there's so much so much there that so much there man that we're just we're just on the same we're in the same family with man we're on the same team with right and you're talking about this mindset and this entrepreneurial mindset and mindset and how that you know spurs the creativity spurs this personal responsibility it spurs all these things on it's so much more than just um you know, the, the education side of it, the work side of it is just, it's truly a life fulfillment kind of deal. And that's exactly what, you know, I tell people when they're looking at acting academies, any of the acting academies globally, they're saying, well, what does the curriculum you use? I said, man, the curriculum is this curriculum, is self-awareness, the curriculum is self-confidence, you know the curriculum. The curriculum is character. The curriculum. I mean, it's those kind of things that we're that we're attempting to bring into the world and and change the world with. It's that, you know. And that's why praxis has made so much sense. That's why, man, we've done probably twenty somewhat episodes now of this of this podcast, and I've probably mentioned praxis in ninety percent of them, um, you know, in one form or another. I mean, we talk about it because it's a it's a natural. Uh, it's just this natural flow. We're taking these kids kind of in this five to 18 year range. You're taking them right after that. and To me, it is the natural flow of this mindset that's going to create these world changers. And I love what you're saying about the young black men too. Um, we, gosh, man, it was probably about two years ago. Um, I had a professor uh, from the Bay Area who said, man, I've got, um, He he's a professor of education. He said, I've got a number of students who are taking on uh, different educational models and they're doing projects kind of around that. and I've got a young man, a uh, young black man here who wants to interview you and talk to you about acting Academy and talking about the mindset that you guys are trying to create I said all right great. so I connect with a man, we had this really great conversation and he says, look, he says "the you know the downside of any uh, privately funded educational models is going to be getting it into areas where people can't traditionally necessarily afford it He said, man, for where I grew up, that's the reality. So what, what do you think about that? What do you guys want to do? And I said, that's absolutely part of our mission is we want to, we want to drive educational costs down. We're looking at these other methods of bringing in revenue so that we can go into out here, you know, Stockton area, South Sacramento area, some of these traditionally, you know, these areas that are traditionally kind of underfunded and under, underhelped, underprivileged, however you want to put it. Yeah. We absolutely want to do that. And he said, what do you think about if you guys get schools in those areas? He says, how do you think do you think guys like me would respond? I said, guys like guys like you would crush this. I fully believe, I fully believe that those are the people that we bring. Maybe they've been handed those bad directions, but we come into those communities and we bring those good directions. I fully 130% of my being believe they would absolutely crush this and do so at a greater clip than a lot of these higher income socioeconomic areas that we are in, because they they want to drive, they want to go forward, they want to struggle. Some of these other kids go, "Ah, mom and dad will take care of things, right? I'm always going to be okay." So maybe they don't have the chip on their shoulder to really drive themselves out. I think we go into these communities, man, and these guys are going to cry. They're going to be world
1: changers. Absolutely, man. And and you know, um, young brothers get a bad rap, um, and 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 sometimes the entrepreneurial spirit of young black folks. Gets yep. downplayed, right? Yep. We we are some of the most creative yes, and artistic and innovative people on this planet, um, and maybe because we've been given a bad map, or we just haven't even been given a map, yep. right? That that we're using that in ways that either makes people uncomfortable or in ways that have been criminalized, and so the very thing that nature has given us that god has given us that we can use to lift ourselves out of poverty and create new patterns of generational wealth it's working against us yes sir you know and one of the things i like about what you're talking about is that it's not just transactional and this is this is something that's very important because mm-hmm. you know i grew up in the church and you know the black community it's not transactional man you can't just walk into black churches or rooms full of black folks and be like, yo, let me give you a value proposition. Yo, let me give you some abstract teaching. Let me give you some ideas about how you should be living. You have to establish relationships. Yes, sir. You have to build communities that reinforce the valuable insights that change people's lives. I want to give a shout out. Uh, I have a friend um, by the name of Sean Dove, who is the the head of the campaign for black male achievement. There are fewer people that I see get this idea of relationship better. This is the kind of brother who He's not trying to preach at you. Yep. He's trying to be friends with you and connect you to become friends with other people so you can go out in these communities and empower others through relationship because community is the bridge across which we can move the truth that transforms people's lives. And what, what a lot of young black folks like, lack, it's not somebody telling them what they ought to do. Yeah. It's someone embodying for them what they could do. Yes. People don't learn the truth in the abstract. They learn it in the form of, of story. Yep. They capture truth through embodied cognition. I need somebody that looks like me, man, yep. that started a business. I need somebody that's from my hood that went out there and did that thing. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and, and it's why it's why Black folks perk up and get interested when we hear the stories of people that, you know, like Byron Allen buying the Weather Channel or Tyler Perry building out his own Right, right. For a lot of us, it's like, oh man, this is possible. A lot yep. of other folks might take that for granted, but for us, it's like, whoa, this is possible, and we need more of that, man. We
0: need. I love that, got- man. I love that. That's why, and that's one of the, um, you know, one of the connections is we're looking at a, acting as kind of this global network and and how we're going to continue to kind of move forward and, and continue to impact, you know, everywhere globally. Um, we're looking at some very strategic partnerships And this whole this whole lockdown on travel, um, you know, kind of messing things up, but there were some, there are some meetings that are being postponed now, but are, you know, are going to continue to be in the works. And it's guys like, um, Damon John, you know, and that's somebody that, that we're looking to connect with man. And then the same thing, man, he's just, he's a, he's a testament to, to, to that story, you know, and then moving that thing. Forward. I love that. And I love when I first went into education and came out of, you know, I came, I was in higher ed first and was at Stanford for a while and then went into, um, you know, public education after that, when I went into, you know, my first few years of teaching were in some rough, some rough areas of California. And yeah. one of the best things that happened my very first day, man, I, I I just remember my my head was like it was in a blender. I was in a whirlwind of just like, man, what just happened to me? And I remember that administrator taking me aside and said, look, the good thing about this, this is absolutely gonna be a trial by fire. You're going to figure out whether or not you're going to really want to be an educator. You really want to be a connector. You're going to figure it out here because these kids are going to make you earn it. They're going to mm. they're going to make you prove that you actually want to do this. And this is actually a mission of yours. It's coming from your heart because you're going to have to actually create relationships with them before any change is ever going to happen. And this is going to be the test for you. And, and I loved it. I mean, I loved yeah. it. It was, it was why, you know, it's really what set me on the trajectory that I'm on, man, because building those relationships, I still to this day, man, I, uh, two days ago, you know, I got a I got a DM from, Uh, you know, a student that I had, and he's, you know, he's had some rough stuff going on. And and even then, man, he was, he was, you know, his parents were coming, if they were coming to their, uh, the, the meetings, the um, parent teacher conferences, they were coming, you know, the dad would come with his PO, right? And he had his parole officer with him, man. And and if he made it, um, I mean, he came out of some rough circumstances, but this young man is still reaching out. man, just wanted to say, hi, how are you holding up and all this stuff? There's relationship there, you know, and and they make you,
1: I love it. Love it. I love that man. Speaking of relationships, so I, I think it was John Maxwell who said, People don't care how much you know until they know how know much, how you, much care. you care. That's it. Now, some people might hear that and react like, oh man, I don't want to hear that fluff. And and my tough love response back to that is, well, well, hold up for a second. Are you are you speaking truth just to sound entertaining? Are you speaking truth just to titillate yourself mm-hmm. from being someone who sounds intelligent? Yep. Or are you speaking truth because you actually want to impact other people's lives? Yep. Because you actually want other people to receive what you have to say. Because if that's the goal, then you should care about their response. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if someone can show you a method that is more likely to get someone to embrace the truth, why would you not care about that method? Absolutely. So caring about people isn't about being soft. It isn't about being PC. It isn't about being scared of the PC police. It's about being a human being mm-hmm. and recognizing that I got to earn the right to yep. preach to somebody. I can't yep. just get in people's face and be like, yo, you need to be like this. You need to be like this. I need to start with you, man. Like, hey, what's your why? That's it. What makes you come alive or That's what it. makes you feel like you're not already alive? Yep. That's you know? exactly and, it. And, and when you listen, you earn the right to be listened to. Yep. Uh, but by the way, you also mentioned Damon John one of my favorite quotes by him, he says, we're all born entrepreneurs, family and friends convince us over time that we're not entrepreneurs, right? But that's a special thing for special people. The entrepreneur is just the person who finds a way to recover that original spirit. Oh, I you know, I, I think one of the greatest lies and this, and this brings back to my mission and what I really want to bring to young brothers, especially one of the greatest lies is that, being entrepreneurial is something separate from being human, right? And, and once we separate that, we can say it's kind of like being a basketball player. Some people can do it. Some people can't. It's okay if you can't. And I think that's a myth. I think that's a lie. I think that's self-defeating. We are all entrepreneurial. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all born to start up a tech company, right? It doesn't mean we're all born to be billionaires, right? Because being entrepreneurial is something that you can do as a mom, being yep. entrepreneurial is something that you can do as the guy that bags groceries, right? Yep. It's about a mindset, it's, a, it's it. about a way of thinking, a way of living, and we're all entrepreneurial in different ways, but to be entrepreneurial is to be human. And once we recover that truth, man, we unleash so much potential and a lot of these problems that we worry about during times like this mm-hmm. are problems that we can bring so much innovation to. The scariest thing is not the coronavirus, The scariest thing is not the the crazy, wacko proposals that some politicians are advancing just to try to save face or make themselves look good. The scariest thing is the number of people out there who genuinely don't take seriously the idea that they have the permission and the power to be the predominant creative force in their lives. We ought to be frightened by that. Don't be frightened by the guy who disagrees with you about free speech right now. Don't be frightened about the guy who disagrees with you about gun control right now. Be frightened by the guy who doesn't even believe that he has the power to make a difference because all other beliefs are going to flow downstream from that. The moment you accept the idea that you are some weak little lackey who can't have a causal effect on your world, well, then I fully expect all of your other beliefs to be dangerous and self-defeating. But let's deal with that foundational one first.
0: Yep. So good, man. So good. That reminds me, I, and I wish I could remember because I want to give credit where credit is due, but, and I don't remember if this was in a conversation or if it was something I read, but I remember uh, somebody saying at some point a few years back, and he said to me, he either said to me or was in a book, um, you know, I know so many people who are living behind bars, but I'm not sure if I know anybody that's ever been to jail. And, and I'm like, man, that's, yeah you know, uh, that that's really, I think that's, that describes, it describes for, I won't say majority, but it describes far too many people, man. I mean, it really does. Um, you know, and even in, even in circles that, that, You and I run in some very similar, some very similar crowds and very similar circles. But even in that, man, every once in a while you see that fear that just that pops up and it's like, man, don't don't do that to yourself because you're right. That's going to be your foundational belief where everything else you do right now, all your other actions are going to disseminate from that, you know, and that's a it's a horrifying place to be, man. I love that. Hey, guys, sorry for the quick interruption. Just a reminder, man, reviews, 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 please review, share the message. We want to drive subscribers so we can bring more value to more people and we can bring scholarships to the young folks out here in Sacramento. Thanks, guys. Back to the episode. So we're talking about, I mean, talking about some amazing people and that, and it flows right into actually what that first question is from, from the youth is just who, who are some people you look up to? Who are somebody, you know, who's somebody that inspires you or maybe you consider um, to be a mentor kind of in your journey?
1: Yeah, man, well, I'm going to deliberately sidestep the temptation to, to, to reference a celebrity or a household name Yeah, because, because I, I think in today's world, likes have kind of become a yeah. currency unto yep. itself. And, and, and there's a very pervasive and, and pernicious idea that to be an influencer mm-hmm. is to be someone who has a lot of likes mm-hmm. or who has a big following. Um, and you know, if you have less than, you know, 3000 followers on Instagram, well, you don't get to be an influencer. Um, and it's funny because over the course of my lifetime, I have met some really powerful people, Mm -hmm. really successful people, some really wealthy people, however you want to define status. I've met people in all those categories whose social media game is so weak that it's laughable. They're not Instagram cool. Yep. Totally. They're not Twitter cool, but there's no blue check. They are pulling strings like mad, right? Yep. They are making decisions that's gonna affect you and everybody you know about. That's exactly but not right. But not media, right? So my, my greatest heroes are not necessarily the people that are most popular, but who are some people that influenced me, man? Um, I, 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 I gotta start with my pop. I gotta start with my dad. Yeah. So my father's a pastor, um, been a pastor for over 40 years. Uh, his church is on the west side, in the city okay. of Chicago, Illinois, um, and- He's still,
0: he's still, he's still, still going? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. All right. So
0: TK is a PK.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a PK, man. I'm yeah. Proud proud yeah. PK. You know? Yeah. Um and and one of the things I've seen by my father over the years is that faith is truly a way of life, not just a doctrinal position. You mm-hmm. know, um what he has always taught me that, you know, the true power in this world doesn't come from being aligned with those who have clout. The true power comes from being aligned with the divinely inspired vision for why you are here on this earth. Power comes from purpose. It, it, it comes from principles. Mm. It doesn't come from politics. It can be perhaps expressed in those areas or yep. suppressed in those areas, but it comes from the individual. Um, you know. So for example, you see in the story of Moses, he has this vision. I, I want to I help my people be free. And and who's the antagon- who's the antagonist in that story it's pharaoh the yep. politician right yep. the, the guy that's running the nation is the is the evil guy he's yep. the villain and yep. moses didn't go to him for the solution moses went to him and said hey <laughs> this is what we got to I mean, do I mean, let the people right? go yep and 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 there was no instant cooperation there was a great dramatic battle um but but who wins was it the power of prophecy and faith was it The power of politics and coercion. We know how that story ends. And and one of the things that my father has not only taught my brothers and I, but I've seen him embody it, man. I've seen him live it out. That's where power comes from. So, one one example of that is um, his church. The church I grew up in was this small storefront church, inner city, west side Chicago. We call them storefront churches because it's like, maybe it was like an old convenience store that was gutted out. You put some benches in there or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't a big church. It wasn't like these mega churches you see on TV, anything like that. Yeah, But a small, faithful community of people that just love God, love each other. And my, my father had a vision and said, we're going to build a large church and we're gonna expand and grow. And we're gonna do it without borrowing a dime from banks. And we're going to create and give that wealth here in this community. And by the way, in case anybody thinks that this was some sort of like health and wealth gospel where my dad just like got other people to give their money, I will go on the record and say he outgave everybody that gave. There's nobody that gave more than him. And I know it because there was some things I had to sacrifice. Yes, sir, I believe
0: that. Yeah, I believe that.
1: He outgave everybody, (laughs) like publicly, privately, outgave everybody, but he led by example. But here's the thing, a lot of his pastor friends told him, you're crazy, that's your ego, swallow your pride, you need to just go borrow money from a bank, that's impossible. My father started teaching for years, principles of financial literacy, principles of wealth consciousness and spiritual economics, and I watched as a young man in that church, a church of many people that, weren't, that wouldn't describe themselves as wealthy, I watched the wealth mindset just gradually grow I watched people start to practice generosity with what they had, and I watched people start to get better jobs. I watched people start to find other ways to make more money. And, and, and it took a long time. It took a long time. But eventually, the church was able to procure a large plot of land on the intersection of Washington and Cicero, which is like a pretty big intersection on the city of Chicago. Still didn't have all the, the, the money that was needed to start building. Yeah. So my father hired an artist to paint a picture of his vision. And he took that painting to the empty lot and put it on the lot, okay? And every day, sometimes I was with him when he would do this, before he would go home at the end of the work day, he'd stop at the lot and he'd go to the picture and he'd put his hands on that picture. He would speak abundance over it. He would speak power over it. He would declare that his vision shall be so. And man, he had, I'm not talking about like, congregation members being like, I don't believe he had pastor friends that were older than him, that he yep. looked up yep. to being like, dude, this is crazy. You need work. to stop. Yep. You're embarrassing yourself. Years later, man, it worked. And I was part of the, uh, the congregation of people that were able to march in from the old location to the new location and just see that church get built. And, and, and it, it was, it was just the power of a vision combined with execution. Yeah, and the yeah. willingness to go with your gut and trust your inner voice in a world that's constantly trying to tell you that you're crazy for having a dream. That's my biggest hero, man. I could give you a whole bunch of other examples, but nothing's gonna be as good as that.
0: Nothing's gonna be as good as that because that's it, right? I mean, you're they're talking about, you know, God, man, what was that book, um, The Secret. Right. You got the secret and you got all these people that are wanting the secret. And so you're just you're speaking this abundance and you're creating your vision board and then you sit back on your couch and you just wait. And as long as you keep speaking it, you know, ultimately that's going to happen. But no, the reality is the secret is you do that and then you go execute. You do that and then it's the long tail game of not losing that vision because everybody can get motivated for their vision for, you know, for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for a month. But the long tail application of day after day. No, I'm speaking this into an existence and I'm going to build a community unity around that. Right. I mean, that, that's a whole different level. That's the real deal, you know? And I I love to hear that, man. I love to hear that.
1: And so they're still rocking and rolling. Yeah. Still rocking and rolling, man. I love it. And and you know, it's funny, you bring up the secret. I'll tell you what, maybe what hurt me the most about it or disappointed me the most, maybe I'm angry. It's, it's not that they put a book out there talking about this idea of the law of attraction. Cause yeah. I actually think there's a core element yeah. that's right on the money. Yeah. And, 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 and even though there are lots of people that say, oh, that's just common sense. Well, they sure don't act like it. Uh, they I sure don't it. act like their yeah. thoughts matter. Um, if anything, we're, we're conditioned now to laugh at the idea that our thoughts matter. That but, but it's so much was left out about, you know, the power of action, the power mm-hmm. of execution. Mm-hmm. At least in a lot of the pop culture presentations of right, that, I, right. so much was left out that you had a lot of people out there thinking, okay, so I can just close my eyes and visualize a diamond necklace around my neck. Yep. And then I'm going to get a check in the mail. Right. Right. And, and, and that, that's the important piece. You know, my, my father always says, he calls it the law of recognition, where people think about the law of attraction. Like if I envision something beautiful, it's, I'm going to attract it into my life. And my father talks about the law of recognition, like look for the things in your life that are already beautiful yeah, and then recognize the opportunities to leverage those things into value creation. And, and, and you will manifest more good things in your life, not by passively waiting for the universe to That's deliver it. to your step but by by proactively believing in your creative power to go out there and make it happen bingo he's bringing the
0: practicality from that from that beginning yeah. the secret does a good job of here's the beginning here's the end he's going okay no let's go over here to the parallel and let me give you all the stuff in the middle yeah uh, the, yeah you know. but, but but i like
1: i like vision boards you know yeah. what i mean like, yeah i yeah. don't have a vision board Yep. Yeah. But but I, I think there's something to the idea uh, of forming a clear mental picture of what you want. It's a great starting point.
0: A hundred percent. Man, we did it with uh, with our students in what we call our adventure studio yesterday. So we had you know our students that were like are like six, seven, eight. You know, my daughter being being one of those. You know, I went into a room yesterday when I got home. Said you know how's it going? How was the day? And she's like, good. Our whole studio has created vision boards today. And so she walked me through her vision board and putting up in a room. No, I love it, man. I'm all for it. Um, and then it's just okay, cool. Now what are the next steps? You know, start moving forward. So, no man I love that so cool so you're somebody that I would consider uh, you know a, a confident individual and the second the second question is about self-confidence and, and what that what that looks like so the question really is talk about what that looked like for you did you develop self-confidence is that something you always had and you kind of you kind of grew up with that or is that something you still continue to work on um, you know what is what does that concept look like for you and it's been an interesting question man to, to ask so many people because you um, they come from so many areas, but another person that you and I have, I think both connected with John Stossel, um, great, great guy, great individual. And and he was the one, he's like, oh man, I'm not, a, I'm still, I'm 72. I'm still not a confident individual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, we're talking about the Emmy award winning, you know, but he's like, man, I'm just not, I, I struggle with that. Uh, so I'm always interested in hearing what people say about that. Is that something that you feel like is a natural thing you're working on developing that one?
1: Yeah. Well, really quickly, I had the pleasure of meeting Stossel at, at, at FECON last year. Yeah. Um, R- really awesome down-to-earth guy. Great guy. And I think his response to you kind of reveals maybe the critical insight about confidence. So he says, I'm 72. it um, doesn't look it at all. He said, I'm 72 and like, I, I still like sometimes don't feel confident. But the reason why that's surprising is because he shows up every day yep. and puts himself out there and tries to make something good happen yeah. in the world yep. using his gifts and talents and skills in spite of that. In spite of, yep. And, and to me, that's what confidence is all about. Um, confidence is less of an emotion mm-hmm. and it's more of a willingness to act in accordance with it's principle yep. in spite of the emotion, right? So to ask how can I be confident is really to ask how can I find a basis for critical and for, for, for creative and constructive action in spite of the fact that sometimes my emotions will scream out in protest. Mm-hmm. Because you're never gonna get to a place in life, not even when you're 90, where you don't have to deal with feelings. Right. Feelings right. are kind of like the season. Right, you, you can have a string of amazing sunny days, but sometimes you're gonna get that rainy day, man. Yep. And, and it's not because you're being negative, it's not because you, know, you did something wrong. Like we, we have to stop treating our unwanted emotional experiences as if they are some kind of sin. That we need to ask God forgiveness for, right. and we just have to accept as a fundamental fact of life. You're going to have days where you wake up and you just kind of feel kind of sad yeah. for inexplicable reasons. Yep, you, know, you just kind of feel like not motivated. It's part inex- of the human experience. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just like waking up one day and you were hoping it'd be sunny, but it's rainy. Yep, right? and, and, and you have to adjust your plans. You, you you get to do different things on those kinds of days, and you make the most of it. It's the same thing with confidence. I would say my advice would be don't so much search for confidence as, as, as a feeling state, but search for it as, as a pattern of action that you have learned to cultivate. Okay. With that being said, there is a philosophical and psychological element to it for sure. Um, for me personally, I I definitely wrestled with insecurities at every stage of life. At the earliest stage, I was a pastor's son, in a congregation Mm -hmm. and all of my other friends, all of the other kids were not pastor sons, right? So, and it was very obvious to me that I was different in that way. And and sometimes people would remind me of my difference in ways that were not fair. You know, maybe I'm running around with my friends and you know, they say a swear word or a dirty joke and fine. And then I try to do it and someone says, oh, you're a pastor's son, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Right, so I, I was very insecure, you know, like, can I be cool? Can I be like the other kids? Yeah, Am I right. allowed to do that? You know, I experienced insecurity there. Will other kids like me? Will they think I'm snobbish and uppity? Will they be afraid to joke around me? I wrestled with that. Then when I was in um, fifth grade, my, my parents moved from the inner city, West side of Chicago to a Western suburb called Westchester. I went from only seeing white people on television to, you know, seeing white people everywhere. everywhere. My yeah, neighbors, yeah. like my schools. And, and that was, you know, I was very insecure about that. You know, yeah. um, that was really tough because I'm so different. You know, I, I even remember um, there was uh, a girl that wanted me to go to the school dance with her, right? And, and this is a level of complexity that most people at this age hadn't even had to deal with. Yeah. And, and she's white. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, is is that even okay am yeah, i gonna that. take some flack from white people from black people like are her parents okay it was just so complicated yeah i didn't even have the ability to just be like my other you know peers and be like yeah we can go to the dance it was yeah. just complicated. yeah so anyway, element yeah man I, I know what it's like to feel like you don't fit in or yeah. to feel like you don't know what the rules of cool are right and all of that kind of stuff but here's my favorite thought on this, and it comes from Terrence McKenna. And I actually oh, I love McKenna. made a video about it called, uh, oh, my gosh. Um, I, I made a video for Revolution of One. Go to the YouTube channel, just okay. Google Revolution of One. Um, you know, and, and I make a video where I talk about this idea of being cool. And there's a, there's a McKenna quote where he says, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm cool or not, but I'm incredibly resistant to anyone who tries to convince me that I'm not cool. I love that. Right? Um, So whatever it is you use to define what's hip, maybe I don't have it, but I'm definitely not gonna sit here and let you tell me that I need to be something other than what I am. Nipsey Hussle says, I'm gonna always be me and you ain't gonna never make me feel bad about that. You ain't never gonna make me feel bad about that. And I think confidence is getting to a point in your life where you realize you are always gonna be miserable if you try to live out somebody else's formula for how you ought to be. And the only way you can be happy in life is to be true to what's interesting to you. Even if that's some nerdy science fiction stuff that nobody else likes, only way you're gonna be happy is be true to you. And if you stick with that long enough, you're gonna start bringing people into your life that that find what you do to be cool it's about finding your people finding your tribe not about trying to be cool to somebody that don't like you
0: dude so good so good it's exactly it man it's exactly being true to yourself finding your tribe so is there anything in your current day-to-day that you still get anxious about is there anything that's still kind of you know i know we have those those the human experience you have the days you wish it was sunny and it's raining a little bit but is there still anything right now that you're working through any kind of like anxiety you know around
1: Yeah, I I give you two things. So one, um, there is nothing that is more relaxing and inspiring to me than having time to like read and meditate. Yeah. So the perfect day for me is one where I have ample time to do that. Being a leader, managing a lot of different projects, Mm -hmm. there are times where things just get busy beyond what my scheduling and strategizing abilities can control. And, and, And there are lots of days where I don't get the amount of time that I, that I really wanted mm-hmm. for like reading and meditation, right? And the day comes to an end and it's like, well, you know, now it's family time, now it's time to handle these things. And I don't get that, yeah. right? So that, that's something that is, is a challenge that I just have to do it as a part of yeah. life. It comes with responsibility, right? For sure. Uh, the second is on my own, I tend to be pretty emotionally resilient. Whatever's going on, You know, my starting point for it is, let's make the most of it. It's not ideal, but let's make the most of it. Again, when you're leading, part of your work is to regularly interact with people that may not have that. And there can be a temptation to get bitter about it, to be like, why don't you just level up? There could be a temptation to stress out over something you wouldn't stress out about because you love someone that is stressing out about it. And that's a continual challenge when it comes to leadership. Yeah. So those are two things that I would say they're not easy for me. Yeah, They're still tough. They, they are with me, you know, for the most part. Yep. Um, and, you know, how I manage them is when it comes to like the things that I need to do for me, I, I, I try to wake up earlier than the people who need me. So that yeah, I have, have that, that time. Yeah. Try to forgive myself if I don't succeed at that. Yeah. Um. And, and just try to be grateful for whatever I can get. If I only get like 15 minutes of that at night, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm grateful to be alive. Let's just keep yeah. rolling. With it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
0: No, I love that. And you mentioned kind of meditation as part of that too. Any other kind of physical disciplines you bring into, or you, you working out is yeah. is any, is any of that part of the day?
1: Yeah. So I I, I, I really enjoy getting on a treadmill because I get to listen to podcasts. Yeah, and Just kind yeah. like of like yep. get a little rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh. But I I walk pretty religiously. Mm-hmm. Um. I wish I could say I'd do it for exercise, but it's just so fun. I, I, I feel guilty calling it an exercise, but my wife and I, we walk pretty religiously. We, yeah. we try to take at least one pretty long walk a day for at least about an hour. We just love doing that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man, I love that. So this is where the questions switch a little bit and, and um, you know the youth kind of bringing up the the fact that in traditional schooling, a lot of what we miss um, you know, never mind all the mindset and all that kind of stuff, which is obviously far gone, but they're looking for some practicality around some financial advice too. Um, you know, and one of the things that I that drew me to act and uh, originally was the fact that the kids are all starting businesses the kids are you know especially as they get older looking for internships they're looking for apprenticeships that are putting them in this real world situation they're having to uh, learn to budget for for various projects and and you know I love that real world application and so the question really is what is a piece of financial advice for somebody coming out and um, you know again our audience 13 to 22, a piece of financial advice you can give them, whether they're just kind of young and trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I want to do? And, and, uh, or if they maybe they're coming out of high school or maybe coming out of college, you know, and, and it's really kind of an open-ended, uh, what's a, what's a solid piece of financial advice for them. Hmm.
1: Solid piece of financial advice for, for someone in like the 13 to 22 range. Yeah. And there's
0: so many, I know there's so many different ways you could go on that. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the first thing I'll say is that you don't, you don't save your way to financial freedom. Mm. You, you create your way to mm-hmm. financial. Um, and you create your way by becoming skillful at studying other human beings and the problems they have and trying to come up with innovative, unique, mm-hmm. competitive solutions to those problems, yep. right? Because if you can have a, a useful skill yep. that, that generates income for you, that, that will actually have the ability to outpace anything that you can accumulate through saving. There you go. And so I would say develop useful skills, but don't go about it by opening up a book or Googling what are the top useful skills. Develop useful skills by paying attention to your environment and seeing what people complain about. And this is exceptionally hard because when, when people are, are plugged in to a common story of suffering, the natural instinct is to connect with them and share that story of suffering. Mm-hmm. But in order to create wealth, you have to opt out of that story of suffering. And you have yep. to step back and say, I know that I can fit in if I just share that story, but I'm going to step back and not fit in. So that I can create something for all the people who do fit in that makes me wealthy and them wealthy at the same time, right? That's indirect. But let me give you a second one. Because I, I just said something that could be construed as a criticism of saving. So I'll say something about saving, especially if you're young. Because, you know, uh, I worked as a financial advisor before, and I know one of the hardest things in the world to do is to convince people that don't have a sense of mortality, which is the age range you just gave right, right. um, to, to care about saving for the future. That is exceptionally difficult. People generally don't start paying attention until like they hit the 30s because right. their body has different ways of knocking on the door saying you can die. Hey, by now, the right? way, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. So here's what I would say. Most young people I talk with, they look at the argument for savings as if it's some sort of appeal to morality. Saving is this noble, dignified, religious, dutiful right. thing. To do. And, and that's hardly ever attractive to any, anybody. I would say don't look at savings that way. Look at savings as the opportunity to, no, I'm sorry, look at savings as the power to capitalize on opportunities that will come in the future, Mm. even if everything in your life right now is boring. There are a lot of people who say things like, hey, um, I don't know what I wanna do, so what should I do? And my answer to that is, do things that will give you options so that when you do know what you want to do, you will have the power to act on them. Because at some point in the future, you're gonna wanna travel. Some point in the future, you're gonna wanna invest in something. And so if you don't have any preferences now, that's okay. Do whatever you can tolerate and save those resources. Mm -hmm. Because as you accumulate new experiences, you will accumulate self-knowledge, your preferences will refine, and you will have things that you feel really passionate about doing. And and one thing you're gonna want is the economic freedom to yep. move in the direction of those priorities and savings is actually what enables you to do that.
0: So smart, man. So smart, and you're right on the on that long-term view. And one of the things that we do is we hear that over and over, especially with our launch pad, what we call you know, it's what we call our high school group. And um, I, but I'm not sure what I want to do. I'm not sure. I'm like cool. Then you need to collect experiences right now. collect experiences because the the experiences are going to give you not only going to give you more insight into who you are and what kind of things you might want to do. Those experiences are what's going to give you the skills that are going to allow you to have more choices later on collect experiences now. And it's going to produce choices later. That's it. I mean, we talked about that incessantly, you know, that's beautiful. I love that. And I love that you talk about, um, you know, the, the financial piece of gaining that skills Cause there are some people right now that aren't going to be in a position, especially at this age, they're not going to be in a position to actually save. If you can do it, absolutely. Take that long tail effect, save that cash. But if you're in a position where you just literally don't have any assets that you can hold on to and save, you still can collect those experiences that are going to be the skills that are going to give you that money later on. I love that.
1: Absolutely. Love that. And, and and it sounds cliche, but knowledge is a form of capital. You bet. That you and invest in, right, investing. I I was on a show uh, with some guys talking about Bitcoin and one of the questions was, hey, um, I would love to speculate on this, but I don't have the money to buy any Bitcoin or I'm not in a position where I can afford to risk my resources on something that was so volatile. And my advice was, none of that stops you from learning about the technology. That's exactly right. None of that stops you from studying economics, like investing in knowledge. Yep something that will always benefit you in some kind of way. That's so exactly right. if you're looking at the economy right now, especially, and you're saying, Oh, I wish I could invest in this, but money's tight, whatever it may be, take advantage of the opportunity to invest in money, study the things that interest you, even if you can't buy them. That I, might love that. I love that. And I know that, you know,
0: as an employer too, that's one of the things that I'm looking for is somebody coming in as I'm looking at their willingness to invest in knowledge, their willingness to invest in collecting, um, you know, more experiences for themselves and, and continuing to develop a skill set. because I want to partner with them in that. And, and you know, but I want to see people that genuinely have a history of wanting to do that. That's one of the things I look for. If you had somebody coming to, to work for you, you got a young person coming to work for you. Maybe they just, um, you know, they just graduated high school and, and they're trying to figure out where they're going in life. What are the things that you're looking for? Obviously, we're not going, hey, you got to show me the college degree right? You and me both, neither one of us are going, yeah, please show me your grades from Harvard. Otherwise you're not coming here. Right. I mean, neither one of okay. us are in that boat. So what are the things you're looking for from these young people if they were going to come to work for you?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I recently made a video and, and it's actually going to be released uh, next week, I believe. Okay. Uh, and it's called work on your dreams as if you're actually awake. And I, and I, and I, I talk about nice. this very, uh, idea, you know, uh, and, and, and I, I present, I present a scenario and I challenge the viewer to look at it from the employer's point of view. So l- let's say, you know, someone that has great influence. This is the kind of person who, with a single check, they could change their life. Yep. They can call anybody and be like, Hey, put this person on the map, right? Yep. I don't care what it is you do. You can be an actor. You can be, you know, like um, you can be in marketing. It doesn't matter whatever it is. Like, you know, the it person and you go to this person and you say, hey, can you introduce me to your connections? Can you get me a job or something like that? You're putting that person at risk because this person just spent an entire lifetime gaining the trust and respect of very powerful people. And the moment they recommend you to them, they have just used up a little bit of social capital. If their recommendation pays off in spades, they gain more trust. Right. If that person does not pan out, they lose a little bit of trust, right. They don't lose it all, but they lose some, yeah. right? And they're gonna be more cautious in the future. You know, it's, it's kind of like if, if you got a job at a restaurant and you have a cousin that's like, hey man, can you get me a job too? That is not without risk for you, yeah. right? You're taking yeah. a big risk. You're not just in this position where you're free to make the recommendation without any consequence. If you make the recommendation and your cousin comes in late, they're not just gonna fire him, but they're gonna come back to you and be like, yo, Matt, what's up with that? Yeah, exactly. Does, man, right? exactly. So, so you want to think about it from the perspective of the person you want to hire you or do something for you. And, and so what do you need to give that person in order to reduce the risk they feel in recommending you or hiring you? You need to show your work. You need to provide proof of work. Mm-hmm. You need to provide a costly signal. You need to show them something that is difficult for others to duplicate that indicates you have the ability to show up, get things done and exercise follow through. Yeah. Right? You need to show some kind of evidence for that because showing a credential, I'm not here to just like crap on credentials, but showing a credential doesn't say anything to me about what it's like to work with you. Right? What are you like when you when you're stressed out? Are you the kind of person that my right. team my team wants to be around? Are you the kind of person who gets really toxic? And, and becomes a source of distraction, how are you when you have to respond to a deadline? Sure, you're creative, mm-hmm. sure you love to follow your passion, but how good are you when you need to deliver in 48 hours? When you, when you need to create on demand? So anything you can show to other people that indicates that you have the ability to create on demand, mm. that indicates that you have the ability to boost team morale and be pleasant to work with and be a team player, all of those things can be helpful. And so I think evidence of projects created. Have a blog where you document your projects and learn out loud. Have a YouTube channel or a podcast where you are documenting the things that you're studying and learning and signaling to people the kind of person that you are. Because you can sit home and read a bunch of books all day in secret and you can feel smart and you can tell somebody, I promise, I promise that I'm really smart. I know all these things, but like let the world see what you're like when you show up every week and talk about the things that you're learning, because that's gonna, that's gonna signal far more to a potential employer than just, you know, how good you feel about what you know. One of the, one of the things that I am,
0: I am incessantly going back to with our parents over and over and over, and it's not because they don't believe it, because I, I believe they do, it's just so counterculture, um, but it's so much truth, is the fact that over these last five, six years, I've gotten to work with close to 300 companies, uh, and, and, you know, either a consultative or a keynote kind of fashion. And one of the things that I hear over and over and over and over from your CEOs, from the presidents, from the HR managers, from anybody that's in a position to hire and bring somebody else in, is that we no longer care to see we might still put the degree as far as a uh, a filtering mechanism for people that are just handing in resumes right and just an automatic thing just to kind of reduce the number of of pieces of paper we've got to look at but if you can show us exactly what you just said show us who you are as an individual show us evidence of things that you have actually done show us the skills that you have because you've actually produced something we will hire that person 10 times out of 10. Not only do we get a better idea, obviously, of who they are and if they're gonna play nice with the other boys and girls while they're here and then come in and immediately provide value, not only do we get a sense of that, but it also eliminates a pain point for us because we don't any longer have to take the time to sift through and figure out these arbitrary metrics where we're just going, and ah, do they have a degree? Let's use that as a filtering system. You know, do I like their font? Let's use that as a filter, right? It just takes out these arbitrary metrics and it creates an environment where we actually have an idea of who we're bringing on. And I hear it from it. And it's not just, these aren't rinky dink organizations. These are, you know, this yeah. is, these are government institutions. These are the Amazons, the Netflix, the Microsofts, the Googles, um, the American Eagles, the, I mean, these organizations that are saying these things, man.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So there, there is a, um, there's a parallel between that and, and, you know, the evolution of, of monetary policy and in, in our own country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what makes money valuable is, is, is scar- scarcity right. and, an underlying substance, right? It's backed by something it's backed by gold. Uh, and there's only so much of it, mm-hmm. right. But, but then what happens when you remove that underlying substance and say, okay, we no longer have a gold standard. It's not backed by anything, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and and then you just like start printing more of it. But what does inflation do? Inflation brings down the value of each individual dollar. So the more dollars that we print, that we keep printing and putting out there, the the less valuable the dollar becomes for the people who hold it. And in a similar way, when it comes to credentials, we exist in a state of degree and credential inflation. It is getting easier and easier and easier for, for more people to obtain credentials from various kinds of places, uh, you know, in a very cost efficient way. And so what's happening is the value of these credentials Bingham. are becoming a less costly signal. And, and, and when it comes to money, what do you do in a, in in a, in a scenario of hi- hyperinflation? You try to remove some of your value mm-hmm. out of the thing that's dropping and you try to find something more substantial. Like I'm going to store my value in gold or something right, like that. Right. right? Well, I think what we're talking about, showing your work, creating a portfolio, it's like storing your career value in gold or Mm. in something of substance. You're saying the degrees are inflating and these are becoming less valuable. There are still people that care about it, but I'm able to do trend analysis and I see where this game is going. So I'm going to take my value out of that and I'm going to store it in the gold of a body of work. Because this is something that you can't inflate. Yep. You can't inflate the actual ability yep. to produce. Yep. That's not going away. Oh, I love that. It bleeds
0: right into to what is essentially my favorite question on the entire list. So, and I always give, you know, I try to give people an example because I think this is maybe the most difficult question. For some people, it's it's top of mind. But for a lot of people, this they have to think about this a little bit. So, it's a piece of common knowledge What is a piece of common knowledge? Everybody knows. Everybody knows this is, this is right. Everybody knows this is true. But TK goes, yeah, man, I I completely disagree. You know, and I, and I often, when I'm trying to help people kind of work through this, I, I tell them, you know, college is one thing. And I, and again, I've got graduate degrees and I worked in higher ed. um, But you know, I, I take it from that. everybody knows you've got to go to college to be successful, and you got to go to college to make things happen. And I think for you know 95 percent of our youth, it's a bad. It's actually a bad move. I don't think they should go uh, at all. Um, and so that's kind of my you know that would be my first top of mind answer um, around a piece of common knowledge that I just completely disagree with.
1: What about what about for you? Yeah, so I, I, I share that. I, yeah, I share that with you. Um, so I'm going to try to pick something different cuz I Yeah, I, I, sorry. I know. I mean, it's kind of stinks cuz I know you're right there in the midst
0: of of the day-to-day talking about that too. So I imagine that would still be top of mind. And that's okay if
1: that's number 1. No, I'll, I'll pick something else. So so what's something that it's yeah, common exactly knowledge, it. man. Everybody it's knows honest. everybody knows
0: this is true, but you go, "Yeah, you know what, man, but everybody knows it, but I disagree."
1: I, th- I think I'll, I'll link it back to, to what I said earlier, which is uh, the idea that everybody can't be an artist or entrepreneur. Mm,
0: I like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I think it's still. Yeah. I, I think there's a rising tide of people who believe that, you know, we need more entrepreneurial education and we mm-hmm. need to support the people that actually are entrepreneurial and artistic. But but there's still a pervasive myth that there that there is such a thing as an uncreative human being. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we all know someone that we mistakenly believe to be good evidence of this myth. Mm-hmm. Oh, you should meet my uncle. Uh-huh. He wears glasses and, and <laughs>
0: wears
1: his tie all the way up, and right. you know he flip on ties, and he's an accountant, and he's a very boring man. Surely, yes, yep. <laughs> There is such a thing. I, I I think people you know take that for granted. Uh, and I, I think it's grounded in a number of fallacious assumptions and yeah. misunderstandings that are that are not only untrue, but that are actually detrimental to the human Absolutely. condition. Yeah, it's almost yeah, almost a slap in the face to the human spirit. Yeah, for sure, you for know? sure. Yeah, yes. I love- so I, I so I believe that every single one of us, including that person in your family yeah. who is the last person you think of as being innovative, I think every single one of us is capable of making radical, not necessarily popular or like, you know, millionaire making sure, but radical, they're capable of making radical differences in their local environment you know, through the power of the imagination combined with execution. Yeah, I love that.
0: I think that's really good. Really good. So question number nine really comes from um, kind of the the thought process of, of a lot of young people. And we've heard it, you know, I've heard it here at, uh, at Acton too. And it is the, kind of the belief that once people hit a certain plateau, they, they hit a certain or, or I shouldn't say plateau, but a certain level of success, that that's when they've got it all figured out. And we've had some amazing entrepreneurs that have come in, been on campus, um, have spoken some, you know, spoken life into our launch pad students, especially, and they walk away and our launch padders are fired up and like, man, that guy, dude, he's got it all figured out. He's got it all figured out. And so we started kind of bringing in this concept of like, no, man, he doesn't he's got that figured out and he's doing really well there and he's continuing to figure it out. But there's still a lot of things that he's bad at. And I'll be the first one to admit I'm horrible at 99% of things on this planet. I'm very good at like two or three things. So I stay right there in my lane. Right. Wow. Now you're obviously a very intelligent human being. You're very you know, successful by, by specific measures, but what is something where you go, man, I just suck at this.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I want to try to pick something that's, that's genuinely vulnerable because I can pick subjects that I'm interested of in. Of course. Okay, right, right. Right. I think prioritizing family time mm. in a way that sends a strong signal to my family. Mm. I see you. I hear you. I love you. I care yep. about you. And, and I want to be I want, I want to be close to you. I mean, yeah. And l- let me tell you why that's, that's a struggle for me. Um, I'm super purpose-driven. Yeah. From, uh, so, so like the whole stay inside aspect of this quarantine. yeah. Heaven for me. You're like, I'm right? good. Yeah. Like, built, built in excuse to turn down every invitation to go to somebody's whatever. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, I, I th- if there's anything I can't imagine in life, it's ever being bored or lonely. Yeah is just something that I, that I don't deal with. I can't yeah. imagine that. Um, and, I, and I don't say that unsympathetically towards people who do. Sure. Um, but as long as I can remember as a kid, my, my sense of life has always been purpose-driven. And, and my, my understanding yeah. of that has sometimes been misinformed or very naive or whatever it may be. Sure. But, but, I, but, but my, my starting point for everything I do is like, man, I am born to create something. Right. there's a mission. Right? Yeah, and so if you give me a choice, all things being equal, I'm never going to choose as my first thing going to the movies with my friends mm-hmm. or, or hooking up with a buddy for coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm never gonna choose that first. I'm always yep. gonna choose like some project to work on. And, and that can be very useful as a way of getting things done. But there are people, and I have to appreciate this, mm-hmm. there are people who, that's not the starting point. The starting point is, hey, can we hang out and have a conversation? Mm -hmm. And it actually takes conscious effort for me to to remember that that matters, to remember that that's important, and and also to not resent the fact that that's that's something that I need to do in order to have Mm -hmm. a a healthy life and in order to to make the people that I love feel seen and heard. Like, that's that's not easy. That's not hard. And I have to practice being good at that. And I have to practice being okay with that. Yeah, that's, that's a daily thing. I I don't know if I'm ever going to be an expert at that. Ask me that in twenty years, we'll see where I'm at. Yeah, see where
0: you're at. No, I think that's I think that's cool, and it's not exactly the same thing, but it's kind of a tangent and pretty. I mean, there's a, or a parallel, maybe similarity. I was I was on a podcast um, yesterday, and and we were talking about kind of this schooling from home and and all this kind of stuff, and it's just like well, what about screens? What about technology? What do you guys do in your house? What do you do with your with your kids. And I mentioned at some point, um, kind of how we call like screen time. That's not for work for research, whatever we call it kind of escapism in our house and, and how I'm just not a big, I'm not a big proponent of escapism for myself for taking that time. I'm like you, I I can, I, I cannot possibly be bored or lonely. Can't yeah. possibly, I always have so many things to do and my mission is just like, I, I, I can't possibly. So, you know, I said, but I try to still schedule in a little bit of mind escapism at some point, you know, but I'll get maybe 10, 15 minutes a day, but I don't really, I don't necessarily need it, but I understand that other people do need that. And she's like, so anything that's not based on your mission, you consider it escapism. I'm like, geez, man, I guess I do. Um, And, and I've realized that I kind of struggle with thinking people should have less just because I don't want it.
1: Yeah, you know, th- th- that's funny. Um, I-, I remember uh, hearing uh, Kobe Bryant talk about this, about friendships, and 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 he was saying that he doesn't think he's, like, the best friend. Yeah. Um, and-, and he made this statement that sounds really mean on the surface, I think, but, yeah. I- but I loved it, and I really resonated with it. He said, friendships come and go, but banners hang forever. Mm. <laughs> and-, and what he was saying is he was saying, like, most of my friends aren't people who really get a lot of fulfillment from hanging out all the time. They're, they're people that share a common interest with me about projects I'm passionate about. So he's like, LeBron is my friend. Kevin right. Durant is my friend. And they're my friends because they want to be great at basketball. And, and, and that's what they love to do. And, and, and we don't like get together to like do stuff. You know, occasionally we'll call each other and be like, how did you do that move? Or like, yeah, if yeah. About the situation. And it's not that he felt like I won't be worth something if I don't work on my game all the time. But he was just like obsessed with the game of basketball. Yeah. And so when he wasn't playing it. He wanted to be watching other people playing it. He wanted to be coaching his daughter in it. He yeah. wanted to be watching game tape. And so like, I'm oriented that way. Yeah. Oriented that way. You can put your head down and like lose yourself in your passion. For sure. And then five days go by and you're like, wait a minute. I have parents. I have brothers. Yes. I have, yes. I have a spouse yeah I should probably let them know that I'm still alive and I love them and when you do it they're like we were hoping you do that we appreciate it's- it like I'm sorry I just like I'm just wired in this crazy way you know? man uh, yeah
0: abs- <laughs> absolutely the things my children have said to me at some point where it's just like dad oh man I'm so glad you're back you know and I'm like wait I've been here. They're like oh no I'm glad you're back." <laughs> it's like man I, yeah you're right it's a it's a reality check at some point yeah kobe, uh, i'm sure have you read tim grover's book the relentless book yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love that yeah, yeah we'll me be too Been talking about yeah. kobe i mean yeah, just the, what, the a, I mean, what a treasure man
0: yeah. what a treasure um so question 10 is kind of a is kind of the the catch all if people listening take one thing away from tk one final piece of wisdom what is the most important, and this can be, I mean, you can gear it towards, towards any part of the audience you want, but what is the most important thing that you can share uh, with this young person? If they remember nothing else, TK says, remember this.
1: I'm gonna answer that question by giving you a question mm. that I want you to carry in your heart and think about everywhere you go. You live in a world where everybody's selling something. And I don't say that as a bad thing. Yep. You know, I'm selling yep. something. Yep. Sales is a good thing. It's a part of life, but everybody's selling something. And everywhere you go, there are people that have some proposition, whether it's a philosophical belief or a product that they're trying to get you to buy. And no matter what it is, no matter how smooth they are, no matter how funny they are, no matter how confident they are, no matter how loud and whatever they are, Mm. the question I want you to ask is who wins if I believe that? Mm. Who wins? Um, who wins if I buy that? Right. And, and if the answer to that question does not include you, yep. Think twice. Yep.
0: Yep. No, I think that is brilliant, man. I think that is brilliant. Um, but gosh, yeah, no, I love, I love that. I'm gonna write that down for myself. I got a wall of, uh, I got a wall of quotes too. Looks like a lot of times when I'm connecting, it looks like I'm trying to solve a murder scene. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to add that. I'm going to add that to the wall too. So anybody else's final questions, anybody else young people should be looking at following anybody. And I always kind of word it this way. Anybody else you'd like to see on this podcast, because they're going to give some good
1: advice to the youth as well. Yeah, man. Uh, wow. Yeah. Th- th- there are a lot. So um, I, I would recommend Richard Taylor okay um i'll make sure i send you his instagram awesome so richard, richard taylor um I, I love this guy he uh he talks a lot about mental health yeah um and and i think for a time such as this he'd be yeah. a great person to hear from but like you know uh at any time he'd be a great person to uh, yeah. hear from his personal story of how he transformed his own life physically and mentally uh, he's got a lot of really great things to say about like physical fitness and the relationship between that and mental. Fitness. Gotcha. Richard is one guy I suggest. Um, I'd also recommend uh, Patrice Washington, uh, Patrice. Um, uh, she's a young sister who talks a lot about personal finance and financial freedom and what it means to create wealth. And what I love about her is, is, is uh, as she puts it, she's not here to just tell you to clip coupons and, 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 and save a few dollars on your broccoli expense. Yeah. Um, she's here to talk about how wealth begins with purpose. Uh, so yeah, those would be two people that I- Those are I great, man.
0: Yeah. Those are great. So where do people go to hear more from you and find out more about you and what you've got going on?
1: Yeah, so follow me on Instagram, official TK Coleman. Mm-hmm. Follow the Rev1 channel on mm-hmm. Instagram, which is just Rev1. Um, or if you just want one thing to remember that you can go find all my links, go to feed.org slash Rev1 and you'll find everything there find on my everything social media right channels, the YouTube channel, everything. Yeah. But follow me on Instagram, subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, stay in touch with me. I'm pretty active on social media. So just reach out to me directly if you got any questions.
0: Yeah. And you are one of the few, I don't, I don't get on social media a ton to just kind of scroll through and look. um, But if I do, if I ever see you're one of the few that make me stop, man. So uh, it's um, definitely a pleasure, man. And I appreciate, I appreciate just being on the same team as you and, and, um, you know, being in this similar mission, man. And so you taking the time today too is a, uh, it's, selfishly is a pleasure for me as well as the audience so thank you man i very much appreciate it
1: hey man i appreciate the work that you're doing all all the positivity and critical thinking that you're spreading during these times brother you the man
0: yes sir back at you my friend there you go man legitimately one of the most uh, fun conversations uh, i think i've had in a long time i love that guy's outlook and and just love his spirit so highly recommend you you uh, just kind of keep an eye on him and keep an eye on us as well anything you can do to help share Uh, the value that we're trying to bring here with this episode. Let me know if there's anybody you think you want on there as a guest, let me know. Uh, And if you can give a review, uh, I would love to hear about that as well. I appreciate all of those uh, that have done that so far. So until next time, guys, we'll see you on the essential 11.